a home edition, <laughs> home base edition. This is your host, Abigail Martin. And this is your co-host, Rob Abigail Martin. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing a live show from my house because um, there's just so much going on. We know that we have the World War II episode coming out too, but there's so much going on that we should talk about right now. So we just wanted to release a, a short episode going over the recent news and headlines. The Ron Paul military support, um, Santorum's rise through the ranks. Somehow he's still on the, the spotlight is on him. Um, there's a contraception debate taking place right now because supposedly of the Catholic Church's complaints about insurance mandates. Um, it seems very curious to me that this contraception debate is taking place on a mainstream level right now um, because it magically puts Obama to the left again. Mm, mm-hmm. It just magically places him back there. It's that false argument now of like, it's just propping up these issues that are distractions. Like contraception, really? I mean... This is seriously the main pillar of what we're talking about right now in the media when we're engaged in all these like multi-level combats overseas and the country's going bankrupt. I mean, so it's just, it is interesting that they prop up the contraception issue and yeah, like you said, painting Obama as, uh, you know, the left candidate mm-hmm. who's going to protect our, our rights, you know, women's rights and, and all that. And we have all this run-up right now for a, a possible Iran war. Uh, it's really ramping up. There's stuff on CNN, Fox News. Um, and then there's also Syrian war propaganda being pushed um, You know, through all these different ways. Rachel Maddow was pushing it. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty strange. And a lot of people are picking up on the fact that it's propaganda. Um, but... But, it's still coming. <laughs> yeah, and it's still convincing people that Iran is a threat. I mean, if if everyone remembers back to the Iraq uh, invasion, um, you know, we here we were in Afghanistan after nine eleven, and we were full fledged in the Afghanistan war, and all of a sudden the media completely switched their tune to start talking about Iraq, all uniform lockstep. 100% started talking about Iraq nonstop. And I remember thinking, what's going on? Did Iraq do something to us? And we see the same thing going on now with Iran, and it's really creepy, but it's just mimicking exactly what they did before, and it worked before. And it's just worrying me that it's going to work again just by saying Iran is a threat to this country, the citizens in this country. We see, and we're going to play some clips later in the show of the actual, you know, what these newscasters are saying. Total fear-mongering. Yeah, and another thing I um, wanted to talk about today was some of the things from around 9-11 that are kind of coming full circle right now. Um, Ehud Barak, the ex-prime minister of Israel, on the morning of 9-11, he was being interviewed on the BBC, and in this eight-minute interview, he lays out pretty much exactly how the war on terror happened. Um it, but I mean, he lays it out before it happened. Yeah. He's, he predicts exactly how the U.S. is going to respond. <laughs> he predicts what countries we're going to go into. He even predicts um, that it was Bin Laden. Uh, he, I mean, it's it's pretty astounding the level amount of detail and prescience he has on the event itself. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, I'm being a little sarcastic here. I mean, I think that he knew um, how the U.S. was going to respond because. Israel and the U.S. Uh, wanted. I mean, this is they had this in the works for years that right. they wanted to wage this war on terror to reactivate the Cold War mentality, and uh, you know you could go as far as saying that he knew it was coming and 
um, you know, he was maybe part of a conspiracy. Or you could just say that even if you don't believe 9-11 was an inside job, things like this interview, um, the Wesley Clark interview from 2007, where he said that he was told they're going inter- to intervene in seven countries in five years as a mm-hmm. response to 9-11. All of these things point to the fact that it doesn't really matter what these countries have done, what kind of terrorism they harbor. We're going to go after them no matter what. It's yeah, like, it's, this plan's it's been laid out. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Afghanistan plans were laid out. We wanted to oust the Taliban two months before 9-11. It's, there's an official document planning the invasion of Afghanistan. Um, I mean, this is, these things are all out there. You could say it's a coincidence or whatever, but then, I mean, you would be being extremely willfully ignorant if you made yeah. that claim. I mean, point being is that it's you remove yourself from the propaganda, remove yourself from everything that's going on, and just look at the fact that this is all predestined and preplanned in these documents. And with these interviews of people who are insiders or government officials worldwide, foreign diplomats who all pretty much lined up what was going to happen. So you have to ask yourself, how? (laughs) So, I mean, you could buy into all this bullshit about stockpiles of weapons and, and, you know, Iran's getting their hand on a nuke and all this stuff. But, I mean, you look back 10 years ago and this was all pretty much laid out. So, Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to go into a little bit today also about how we tend to forget which countries have nuclear weapons and what right. that means for the global stage. And if you think of things like that corporations rule all and actually you know, can change the direction of human history and, and politics by just funneling money and, and uh, influencing people, that's one side of it. The other side of it is that certain nation states have the ability to destroy the world 10 times over Mm -hmm. if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. That's a threat that can't be denied. Um, Countries, the countries that have nuclear weapons, you'll notice that in the world staged, they're treated very differently. And that's because they're, because they have nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. Um, China, for example, um, has nuclear weapons. Um, France, the UK, Russia, Pakistan. United States, Pakistan and India a little less so because they're so behind up mm-hmm. all those other countries in terms of nuclear development. But yeah, you still see the same double standard applied mm-hmm. to Pakistan mm-hmm. and India. Um, Israel. Yeah, Israel. <laughs> I mean, countries that have nuclear weapons have more leverage than countries that don't. It's as simple as that. And the and, threat cannot be understated. Like Robbie said, you know, the ability to destroy the planet multiple times over from countries like the U.S., Russia, uh, Israel. Um, these stockpiles of nukes that are just like ready to be triggered at, at, at a second. I mean, they're all on command, like ready to be launched at any given time. There's thousands of them. And it's just, you have to just look at it in just such a hypocritical viewpoint to see that we're waging, you know, all these wars and interventions to try to curb other people's nuclear progress or to curb their nuclear development when we aren't really stating the fact that we are spending like trillions of dollars a year building up this nuclear arsenal. It's completely insane. Yeah. We're living in a cold war mentality and we don't have to be. I mean, in times of austerity, it's just, it's pretty ludicrous that here we are still working so hard on building up our nuclear stockpile at the same time using nuclear weapons and proliferation of nuclear weapons as a means to intervene and continue these military acts around the world. They say it's a deterrent for war 
to have nuclear weapons. It's actually an instigator for war to try to use that as an excuse. Like, oh, well, we can't have, you know, we well, can't let terrifying. Iran get their hand on the bomb. It's it's peace through terror. You know, yeah. the idea of terrifying the world that uh, that this could happen. I it's mean, just amazing that similar rhetoric. Like, remember when fucking Condoleezza Rice, we can't, we can't wait for the mushroom cloud, the smoking gun in the form of a mushroom cloud. I'm sure everyone remembers that. And you see the same thing. CNN, MSNBC, we can't wait till Iran, we cannot wait until it's too late. We mm-hmm. have to go now. The New World Order, um, people use that term a lot still. And John Ronson in his documentary about Bilderberg, um, where he goes and meets with Jim Tucker, I think it came out like 15 years ago or so. Um, in it, he interviews Lord Healy, a member of the Bilderberg group, and he basically gets him to admit that there's not a new world order per se, but there is a concerted effort among the world's westernized elites to make sure that a despot dictator like Hitler can never have the ability to rise to power like that again. And that seems, you know, on the surface, that seems heroic. It seems noble. Mm-hmm. It seems like it would be good for society. But let's really examine what that means. It means that these people in power who have nuclear weapons, who are heads of these nation states and heads of these powerful corporations, they want to be able to control who has leverage in the world, on the world stage, because they want the leverage. Mm -hmm. And if Iran gets a nuclear weapon, that'll give someone who's not in leagues with their, you know, you can call it a conspiracy, you can call it a new world order, or you can just call it on the same page with how they want to do Mm -hmm. things. Iran is not on that same mm-hmm, page, just mm-hmm. like Cuba wasn't. Mm-hmm. And that is threatening to that whole system to them. Because, you know, all they try to do is to make sure that everybody's on the same page. And that's, yeah, and unlike that's World War II, where, yeah, you know, let's, let's make sure Hitler doesn't rise to power again. Unlike World War II, now we are working, you can call it a new world order or not, but it is a global elitist uh group of people comprised of neoliberals, neoconservatives, maybe combating in some of their ideologies, but they're definitely on the same page in terms of military aggression and imperialism and dominance globally. So you have this global unit working hand in hand. And that that's the scariest part to me is that it's not like one country. I mean, you know, you could say we don't want the U, you know a leader in the U.S. to get to the power that Hitler had and, and to have the capabilities that Hitler had, but it's almost just like they're now we we're looking at the global spectrum. There can't really be like a singular military coup to, to oust a leader or one country. I mean, it's like it's just like all these countries working in concert for this goal. So it makes it even harder and kind of overwhelming as the for the citizenry to look at this huge apparatus that's spanning across the entire world and think, how could we possibly stop this? Makes me want to actually get a copy of the, the, um, Zarkowski book, the, the grand chessboard. Yeah. I mean, when you think about the world as a, as a chessboard and you think about what we're doing now militarily, you have to ask yourself, what is our end goal? You know, we're, we're talking about this a lot on the show. Where, where is this all leading Mm -hmm. towards? And what countries out there do we really, are we really not totally on the same page with that have nuclear weapons? And that's really easy to answer. Or that have nuclear weapons that are, that also have power. Pakistan is not really on the same page with us, but they are totally our bitch. We bomb them with drones, robots every day. Russia and China are the two nations with nuclear weapons that we don't, we're not 
on the same page with completely. But it's kind of like a, a it's just something you don't really see play out in the mainstream media. It's almost a it's almost too uh, uh, too large of a scale for the ma- the mainstream media likes to myopically oh, go yeah. after these individual issues. Um, but where is this leading? Yeah, are we landlocking right. China and Russia? Right. What are, what is our end goal? Is the did the Cold War ever really end? Are we you know? landlocking Iran? You know, yeah. philosophically speaking, you know, we should be tackling these subjects. We shouldn't be treated like ch- children from the corporate press and, and have these issues pushed down our throats like contraception and stuff. I mean, really, we're looking at the globe and what's happening right now. Yeah, we should be philosophically analyzing where is the end to this? Where where does this go? What's going to happen? Um, you know, yeah, China owns a lot of our debt. What's going to happen when we come head to head with China and with Russia? And we see Putin's been kind of out of the picture. Russia is kind of silent on the global map. They, they haven't really taken a stand on any of these interventions. If you look at what Putin's been doing, he's been going into Africa the last couple of years and, and making deals with a lot of African leaders um, to control different resources in the continent. And, you know, there's things going on there, too. And and it is scary because we don't talk about it. We don't hear about it. But, yeah, there's definitely moves being made. And here we are just spending all of our money bankrupting our country. Unabashed psychopaths dominating, trampling the entire globe, leaving a blazing trail of fire and not looking back. And it seems like these other countries are kind of just waiting for it to play out. And they definitely have a strategy. And they have nuclear weapons. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, or if you can see it as an all of a sudden kind of thing, they're not accepting the idea that we need to militarily intervene in Syria. Mm-hmm. And China and Russia didn't vote for that resolution because mm-hmm. it would mean another Libya. Mm-hmm. NATO would be sent into Syria, bomb it. Mm-hmm. The fact that China and Russia stood up to the U.S. says a lot about how things are going to play out from this mm-hmm. moment forward. Mm-hmm. Because without their cooperation, we can't invade Iran. Mm-hmm. There's just no question about mm-hmm. that. They depend on Iran. Things are not going to be easy breezy and you know nato's not just going to be able to go and, and do the same thing like they did in libya so yeah did the i mean did the cold war really end or have has it just shifted the public perception we're doing this report right now on on livermore lab and we're kind of just trying to philosophically explore the fundamental question like what happened when we took nuclear weapons testing in a virtual space you know what does that do to the psyche of the american people there was just a poll that we were told about that like one out of six people don't even know that the U.S. has nuclear weapons living in this country, American citizens. And that's kind of the detachment, the cognitive dissonance that this it is all still about nukes. It you really know, is. It really is. I mean, the nuclear weapons complex, we're using nuclear weapons as a premise to invade countries, to curb countries' uh, and progress. As a, and as peace. And as peace. Yeah, we're yeah. using and it's all about nuclear weapons and we're spending trillions of dollars on just continuing our stockpile mm-hmm. and you know so much money on it but it, and and once again it's kind of off the radar of it, the public we don't hear about this debate ever it is completely off the radar and i remember when i was growing up in the 80s i have vague memories of very strong anti-nuclear power and weapons activism mm-hmm. taking place all the time mm-hmm. and after the cold war supposedly ended after the Berlin Wall fell and communism was no longer a threat to us, they say. Um, and when I say that, I mean it's all bullshit. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying that it is a threat. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, once 
once that all happened, it's like, boom, mm-hmm. Russia's our friend. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all good. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. But yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, I was, I was scared of the idea of a nuclear bomb exploding because mm-hmm. I didn't understand. I just, it, it just, I was scared of it. And then when Russia was our friend, I wasn't scared of it. And I don't think I was alone in that. I think that that's, that's my childlike mind mm-hmm. trying to process it. Mm-hmm. But I think the American public processed it in a similar way where it was like, oh, okay, the threat of nuclear annihilation looming over our heads every day is no longer there. (laughs) Right. But it is. It is. That's the interesting thing is. Still mutual assured destruction. Everyone's heard of that term, mad. Um, We still have weapons pointed at each other at a moment's notice, Russia and the U.S. Mm -hmm. This is still happening. This has not ended. Yeah, it is. And, And I find it pretty... I mean, it's it's fascinating, I guess I should say, but it's also not surprising that a lot of these people who were involved in some of the earliest nuclear experiments and and the guy who dropped the bomb on Hiroshima, mm-hmm. they are, were extremely regretful after the mm-hmm. fact. They mm-hmm. they introspected for the rest of their living days on this earth about what they had done and the implications of what what it was. The guy who was there for the first nuclear test. It was one of the leading scientists in the Manhattan Project. He he quoted a line from the Mahabharata, the Hindu, kind of like the Hindu Bible, mm-hmm. I am become death. And that's really what he did. And the idea that it can be used as a means to achieve peace and stability in the world is such a strange, almost like hanging by a teeny thread uh, logical concept. I mean, it doesn't, it, it barely holds water. No, it doesn't hold water. It only holds water because we're all afraid of getting killed. Yeah. (laughs) The only country who's ever, ever, ever used a nuclear weapon, not once but twice, is the United States. Completely obliterated two flourishing cities in Japan. Um, Yeah, after we already firebombed Japan into the ground. We killed more people in Japan through... Um, incendiary explosives than we did with the nuclear bombs, but not not to diminish yeah, yeah, what yeah. happened in those. But that's just after we already killed like hundred fifty thousand mm-hmm. people. Then we bombed them mm-hmm. with nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, and here we are trying to be the world's policemen and and trying to tell other countries who can and can't have them when we're the only ones who's ever used them. We use them completely unnecessarily. The effects are still being felt today. We'll get into this more in the World War II episode, but I mean, come on. I mean, what gives us the right? Yeah, the, what gives us the right is the power. The power. Yeah. It's, I, I almost think of it as almost like a post-apocalyptic scenario where all these people are running around trying to survive, and you're in a group of people, and there's this power dynamic kind of always mm-hmm. shifting. Who's the leader? Mm-hmm. You know, like if you watch Walking Dead, you mm-hmm. kind of get a little mm-hmm. bit of that. But on Walking Dead, everyone has guns. But let's say on on Walking Dead, <laughs> only one, per, only oh. one, only one person had a right. gun. That person would be the would automatically be the leader of right. that group because right. they're the they can kill you mm-hmm. with their gun, and they can dictate who has a gun and yeah. who doesn't. It's it's it gives them automatic power. I mean, on a very basic level, that's how that that works. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it makes you really wonder. Yeah, where is this all leading? Mm-hmm. And another interesting thing, we'll get it. We're gonna release this episode about Lawrence Livermore Lab, so we won't give away too much about it. But we wanted to talk a little bit about what we've been covered growing up in a, in Pleasanton. It's the next city over from Livermore, and everyone knows about Los Alamos. You know, that's obviously the biggest uh, 
production uh, lab of nuclear weapons in the country. That, you know, everyone's kind of common knowledge. What people don't realize is that Lawrence Livermore Lab is not not too far behind in um, nuclear weapons production. In fact, they spend over 90% of their budget on solely nuclear weapons. And it's a privatized, it's now privatized by the military industrial complex, publicly funded by the taxpayers. Um, it's a square mile facility completely bordering the Livermore community, schools, parks. Yeah, Los Alamos has a apparently a 50-mile buffer around mm-hmm. it where if there was some sort of criticality or accident, it would be somewhat contained. Mm-hmm. Lawrence Livermore Lab is deceptively in plain sight. It's, it's hiding in plain mm-hmm. sight. It's mm-hmm. there in Livermore. And if people don't know where Livermore and Pleasanton are... And, East Bay. Yeah. And in the Lawrence Livermore Lab's official documentation, you can see that if there was a criticality or some sort of radioactive chain reaction, it would affect things in a 50-mile radius at least. That includes San Francisco, the biggest metropolitan city in Northern California. And and I guess it's just, it's just disturbing to think that, you know, growing up so close to it, the cognitive dissonance that we even had as children and, and as teenagers, I mean, and just until recently, even people who are aware and paying attention to things, we still didn't realize what was really going on at the lab. And on their website, it's totally greenwashing, saying that they're working on clean energy and and this technology and trying to solve the world's energy problems. And then you dig a little deeper and you find out all this crazy shit that's really going on there. So, you know, even to us, we had no idea. We did some man on the streets in, in Livermore and it was just really interesting to get the perception of the people who are living in the community. It's like everyone's living around this lab and no one really knows what they're doing and no one really knows what the lab is doing to the community, which is a lot. And we'll we'll definitely just stay tuned for that episode coming up. And and normally, in a normal situation, you would think to yourself, okay, if, if this lab existed in my hometown and I knew about it, I'd be pissed. And so yeah. would the people in my community would be pissed too. But the key ingredient to how they've gotten it to work so well is they don't they they rebranded what they do, mm-hmm. and the term greenwashing applies perfectly here. Where if you read any documentation from the lab, you would think it was some sort of environmentally friendly clean <laughs> energy research yeah. lab that is trying to make energy cheaper and safer for the world by using this experimental laser system. And just all this crazy shit that, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It doesn't sound like something bad. You don't hear things like that they sent anthrax across the country with the lids off the vials. Or that they put plutonium in the in the water supply and sold it as sludge across the city. And then we're analyzing those results to see how well plants could grow in a nuclear fallout. You don't hear that at all. No, you don't. And you also don't hear that um, a little bit farther away from Livermore... Um, is a place called Site 300 that's completely surrounded by hills. Um, I was showing the satellite map to a friend of mine who's he's, pretty, he's one of those guys who likes to look on Google satellite maps mm-hmm. and just finds weird shit. Is that he was thinking that the hills surrounding the area were artificial, mm. and that it's and that it's designed to be hidden inside of these surrounding hills mm-hmm. to make it just seem like this natural gully in between mm. all these hills, but. I mean, you can't see a goddamn thing from the road. There's, yeah. You, you wouldn't even, even you would, if you, you had a scope, guess it's it. not like yeah. Area 51 where if you have a high-powered scope, you can get a blurry shot like Trevor Paglin does of yeah. the lab in the distance. You can't see anything at Site right. 300. Right. And we went to Site 300. We tried to get in, uh, almost got chased out of there and detained, or our cameras almost got confiscated. But then we went across the street to this like motocross area where these state sheriffs were. 
And um, I wanted to ask them about, you know, do you know what's going on across the street at Site 300? And they just said, no, we have no idea. And I was just like, well, how long have you worked here? He's like, I've worked here for three years. And I was just thinking, and you've never asked what they're blowing up across the street, which we found out later, depleted uranium and dirty bomb material. Yeah, and, and they're also rumored to be releasing biological agents out there as well. Um, so, we haven't confirmed that, but I mean... So it's just these different <laughs> levels of compartmentalization of people who not only work within the lab who think they're just doing computer work, but also people living directly on, you know, right in the proximity of these sites and just have never questioned it because they just have an inherent trust that it's good and net benefit Absolutely. for the community and et cetera, et cetera. That's why a lot of this... I wanted to, I'm not going to veer off too much off course here, but I just wanted to drop this in. Like, there seems to be right now this new, exciting, pioneering era we're in of technology accelerating. Magazines like Wired Magazine and, you know, you go to Lawrence Livermore Lab and it really is exciting when you read some of their documentation of what they're doing and what could be the possible future of mankind and all this stuff. Um, but... You, you have to remember that most of the funding that goes into this technology is from the Defense Department uh, to get funding to do a lot of these groundbreaking experiments in technology um, requires money from the Defense Department or DARPA. Um, not, not to say that it requires it, like you're forced to take it. I mean, they're not going to come point a gun to your head and say, you must take our money or we're not, you know, we're going to kill you. It's more like they'll, they throw out that money like water. I mean, they, they want to give it away to people because they want to be on the tip of the spear of technology. Mm -hmm. If they own all these research and development um, experiments going on, then basically they have, they can use that technology first. Um, look at the big dog on YouTube. Um, it's a privately designed uh, unmanned robotic machine that can climb over tough terrain. Like, like say the mountains in Afghanistan, this little goat robot can climb across a mountain in Afghanistan carrying like two tons of weight on its back. Um, and that was privately designed. Um, the guys who make the videos for it seem like these, you know, really smart indie robotics programmers. But in the end, it's all funded by DARPA and DARPA gets that technology first. Um, at Lawrence Livermore Lab, they do things like artificial retinas and stuff. Um, DARPA gets that first. It's the nuclear military industrial complex. We don't talk about nuclear weapons, but they're definitely still driving policy and siphoning all of the, you know, the most of the money when we talk about the military. The technology, the technology thing is an important angle of it because it's always used to smokescreen what it's, the technology is really being used for. On one hand, Lawrence Livermore Lab says it has the most advanced virtual climate model does ever designed. And what that is, is it's a virtual computer model of how the world's climate operates. Lawrence Livermore Lab claims that they've designed this climate model and made it available to their researchers to help curb global warming. Wrong. Um, but let's think for a second. What can, it, what can the world's most advanced climate model also tell you for military purposes, for war? Nuclear fallout. Nuclear fallout. Um, they're, we're not allowed to technically test real nuclear weapons and test where the fallout goes now. So if we can do that in a computer, that's perfect. You know, we can we can blow up bombs and 
civilian areas on a computer and see how the fallout operates with the world's most advanced climate model. And a lot of people that we've talked to that work in the lab or that, you know, we have a lot of friends and a lot of people we talked to when we're doing the men on the streets that knew people who worked in the lab, their parents worked in the lab, and all of them just say they're doing computer work. And it's, once again, the compartmentalization, but that's, that's the danger when you think that everything's done in a virtual space and there's really no danger, you know? We're just testing things out on computers, but... In reality, I mean, we're testing everything up until a nuclear bomb now. And Livermore Lab has plutonium being stored. They're planning on putting putting plutonium in this laser chamber. Yeah. Um, so and it's you know, there's it's it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's I mean, crazy. I mean, in, in the same way that when, you know, when certain things are made illegal, people will find a way. Just like computer hackers will find a way always to like break DVD copyright mm-hmm. protection or like whatever the newest thing. The government finds a way to get around these rules. Mm-hmm. I mean, just because nuclear, live nuclear bomb testing is not allowed now, um, like you just said, they do everything they possibly can to figure out the results of it and to test new nuclear weapon technologies um, in the lab itself. The NIF ignition system is a virtual miniature nuclear chain reaction mm-hmm. happening in a contained environment. Yeah, it mimics a nuclear explosion. Yeah, so they not only have on-site... A miniaturized version of a of a nuclear explosion happening inside this laser system. They have the world's most advanced supercomputers running in parallel there, also running these virtual nuclear fallout tests, as well as Site 300, which is where they actually launch most of the new nuclear weapon designs. stickers because they've been taken numerous times off of my car and my car has been keyed it's been hit uh kicked in i mean people are really they really don't like that which is just weird it's like why does that offend you so much like it offends you so much that you have to actually infringe on someone else's personal expression and freedom of expression to me that that's really strange i would never do that to someone's vehicle that's just me I respect other people's property and, and opinion. But anyway, so yesterday I was in Noe Valley and there was this giant truck with these dudes behind me wearing trucker hats 
and I put a little bag in my car and I was closing it and I was in a really good mood I was just like you know it was a sunny day beautiful day in San Francisco and the guy was just like hey he's like is that your car and I was like yeah it is my car what's up man and he was like what does that sticker mean like it just means that there's been just a continuation of Bush policies under Obama and he was just like he was like that's really fucking dumb and I was like, why is it dumb? I was like, could you tell me anything that has changed or that you, you know, why do you feel so strongly about this? Do you want to talk about it? And he was just like, I just, he was like, well, uh, yeah. He's like, Obama's the best president we've had since Bush. And I was just like, well, it's not really saying much since he's the only president we've had since Bush. I was like, anything else you got to go on or, or is this just, <laughs> is that, is that pretty much all you got? And he was like, I just think it's really fucking dumb. I would never put that shit on my car. I would never do that on my car. And I was like, well, we're totally different people. You know, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I was like, if you don't want to have a conversation about it, I don't really know what to tell you. And um, and he was just like, yeah, whatever. And I was like, well, have a good day. Keep on keeping on. And then I walked to the end of the block, and I was just like, fuck, he's going to, he's gonna like, key my car or something. I just knew that he was just so upset and, like, so defensive and so offended by my expression that he... And he couldn't even articulate why. And that was the weirdest part. It's like he was so deeply unsettled by being <laughs> confronted with something that he didn't even understand why it offended him so much. And I really, like, kind of put him in his place, uh, you know. And it was great. <laughs> Logically, like, just destroyed yeah, you him. you just acted really calm with yeah. this angry guy yeah. who was just, like, swearing at you. Yeah, really upset, swearing at this little girl, like, with his friend in, like, this giant truck. <clears throat> and so I go back to my car, like, five minutes later just because I had a feeling that they were going to do something to it. And, of course, they had ripped the sticker right off my car and taken it and driven away. So... You know, you know, they had like an impeach sticker on the back of your car. You'd be like, uh oh, here comes the redneck rage, you know. But now it's like, who, guess what, guys? Yeah. You Obama supporters are emulating the same mindless, ape like behavior of the Bush supporters. I mean, that's pretty sad. I mean, it, it really doesn't, it, it kind of pulls the rug out from under the premise that people who are Democrats have a whole lot higher <laughs> intellect than people who are Republican. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I didn't encounter anything like that when I had some anti-Bush stuff on the back of my car, you know? And this goes just right along with the poll that just came out, the Washington Post-ABC News poll. You know, before, before I get into this poll really quickly, that shows an overwhelming support from the Democratic base for these Bush-era policies under Obama, rebranded, I just wanted to mention that you know, it's, it's really fascinating. Before I saw this poll, I kind of still was hanging on to a glimmer of hope that maybe people just didn't know and that people were just kind of ignorant of what Obama was doing. You know, I didn't, I honestly thought maybe people thought that he had closed Guantanamo Bay yeah, because this Obama. is what he said, you know, like he said, I'm going to close Guantanamo Bay. He made it a pillar of his campaign, he said that he was going to stop the wars. So I think maybe I was hoping at least that maybe just people didn't know what was going on. They didn't know that he was bombing all these countries with drones, killing American citizens without due process. But, you know, of course, we come to find out Washington Post ABC News poll shows an overwhelming support of Barack Obama's national security policies, including the controversial detention center at Guantanamo Bay, troop movements into Afghanistan, and the use of unmanned drones. It sampled a, a thousand individuals, and it showed that 70% of Americans approved Guantanamo Bay, and 78% approved of the drawdown of troops, or which really didn't, you know, that, that's not real, we already know that and an 83% approval rate of the use of drone strikes against terror suspects abroad. We already know that anyone they say is a terror suspect, like, I mean, that doesn't really mean anything. 
And this is the most shocking part, as the Washington Post noted, the support for the policies came from the left wing of the Democratic Party. 53% of self-identified liberal Democrats and 67% of moderate Democrats support keeping Guantanamo Bay open. Since when? Yeah. Since when? I guess I guess that maybe that reveals that all along it was never a concern. It was and never... No. Yeah. And it also reveals something else. Going back to what you were saying... Um, you know, you were you were thinking maybe people just didn't know about it, thought that Obama did maybe close Guantanamo Bay, and they never had a second mm-hmm. thought. But what this reveals also is that Obama hasn't been really focusing very much on trying to hide this. Right. And what does that say? That this Washington Post ABC poll that says that seventy percent of uh, liberal Democrats support drones drone strikes of American citizens, it shows that it's not a political risk. For him to support these policies, but this is this is coming out almost four years after he mm-hmm. became president. Mm-hmm. His internal polling probably showed this years and years mm-hmm. ago. That's why he just never really curbed it yeah. back. He was even just going it ex- know, expanding him. It explains a lot of why he hasn't been trying to hide the fact that he is a Bush third term, because yeah. their polling has found no that cares. the fact that he is a Bush third term is fine. What does this show, matter. people? This shows me at least that. The majority of Americans, sad as it is, are just unquestioning, completely blind party loyalists. It's just like, God, how sad is that? Like, no critical thinking abilities whatsoever. Or did you just never really give a shit that we were imprisoning people and definitely assassinating them without trial and torturing them? Like, either you never cared at all or you just adhere to just party dogma, which is like both just suck. Yeah, it's a a combination (laughs) of complete partisan loyalty mixed with the fact that most people um, don't they don't associate themselves or the people they know with the threat of being thrown into a gulag indefinitely they think that that's completely separate from them it's just like in World War II when they interned the Japanese that the American public didn't scream for the civil rights of the Japanese because they didn't think it could happen to them because they weren't Japanese you know, I mean, it's it's a similar solipsism. Well, I have nothing to hide. Yeah. I got nothing to hide. I'm not doing anything wrong. It's the desensitization to the point where now we've accepted the idea that when we go in public or on the internet, we're not, we don't have privacy anymore. Yeah, Jonathan Turley has a great dis- mind-blowing discussion about civil liberties, privacy, and the citizenry's complicity in it all. And we have that up on Media Roots right now. We're going to put it on the timeline. And I really encourage everyone to watch it because he just gives some really insightful perspectives on things that you don't really think about, how we are pretty much complicit in the erosion of our privacy. Without our Without cooperation, being, yeah. it wouldn't have yeah. been possible. Exactly. Without our complacency, right. it wouldn't have been possible right. to the extent that it is. Um, Jeremy Scale just came out with a report now. We're talking about drones, and we want to get into Obama actually expanding drones for domestic surveillance, which will be all over the country coming 2014, I think. So they're coming soon to a protest near you. (laughs) You'll start being surveilled and and tracked by drones. Um, But uh, he gives this report about how he was just in Yemen and, and talking to a bunch of tribal leaders about the drone strikes in Yemen. And a, and a Yemeni tribal leader said to him, you know, you consider al-Qaeda terrorists, we consider the drones terrorism. I mean, the nuclear scientist assassinations, working in concert with Israel to, to do that, that is an act of computer terrorism. terrorism. Computer terrorism. Stuxnet. I mean, Stuxnet. One, of the, one of the most shocking computer viruses, the, uh, the company, Symantec, mm-hmm. is spending tons of money trying to figure out how this virus is made because it's so 
complex. It actually disrupts the centrifuging process of, of their um, uranium enrichment. They don't know for sure, but it also supposedly messed up the missile guidance system during that test and made it kill, come back to Earth and kill like all 40 people who were there. It's just like, I, I just... I can't stand it. I can't stand looking at the fact that we're waging a global war on terror when at the same time we are pretty much the biggest perpetrators of terrorism if you're looking at the root cause of the war. It, it, it pains me because it's so hypocritical. You know, terrorism is a political tool, at least, mm-hmm. in the classic sense. The way they describe supposed Al-Qaeda people is that they're trying to make a political point and, and get a political message across and to either change sway people into a certain direction or to make people afraid and paralyze them so that they don't move in a certain direction. Right. And what we have is so many different layer, levels of terrorism happening simultaneously to us as a society that the war on terror is just merely a little blip on the radar because nuclear weapons, like we, mm-hmm. we were talking about before, is a form of subconscious looming yeah, terrorism. terror. That Constantly. You, that you just push in the back of your mind. Yeah. It's what is that do doing to us? What is that doing to us just like on an anxiety level? It's like white noise, yeah. but anxiety within just humanity. That is a really good point. Yeah, what what does that how does that affect us knowing that there are nuclear weapons poised to destroy the world at any time at the at a at the flip of a switch? I totally remembered what I was going to say earlier when we were talking about the Lawrence Livermore lab is that what a shame it is to have you know, like people keep saying when we were doing Man on the Streets, well, all these brilliant scientists are coming together and it, and it really benefits the community to have these brilliant scientists here. They're all just working on death and destruction. And how, what a waste. What a waste to pull together the most, quote, brilliant scientists in the country to just work on nuclear weapons. It's a sad commentary on our society that that's what we're using the most brilliant minds is just to proliferate death and destruction. Yeah, and, and you're going back to the idea that it was... Lawrence Livermore Lab is a privatized lab. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this concept of things should be more privatized. I, I think, yeah, it creates this this intermingling, or or just almost like conjoined twins of corporate functions and what the government mm-hmm. aims to do. Nuclear research, um, the government will donate, or not donate, but they will fund things for nuclear research. And companies can piggyback on this and use it for their own products. I tweeted the thing about Jeremy Scales saying, you know, you consider Al-Qaeda terrorists, we consider the drones terrorism. And someone named Montgomery Granger, dressed in army fatigues, wrote, Did you also host a show on how Al-Qaeda slowly separated Daniel Pearl's head from his body on video? Because I, I had written also that Project Censored and I had just hosted a show on, you know, the drones, the targeted assassinations, the kind of the evisceration of the rule of law, which I'll put on the timeline right now also. It's a three-hour special on KPFA that really goes into a lot of great things um, and exposes a lot of little-known facts about these programs. And so this guy kind of just attacks me, once again, drawing the false equivalency that somehow targeted assassinations without due process, torture, and detention are somehow equivalent to one person beheading someone. Yeah. And I just said, so that, you know, so that justifies torture, assassination, definite detention for hundreds without due process for you because of the beheading of one person. And he wrote, look in the mirror and admit that you're either with, with us or the terrorists and then decide how to spend the rest of your life. 
and I was just thinking like this must be a joke this guy cannot be this like <laughs> I was just like this is like the typical garbage that just spewed off Fox News he's just like repeating it and then I just wrote quote if you don't like it here go live in Iran end quote that kind of five year old logic really shuts down critical discourse man I think he's a parody yeah it's like dude, you cannot, it's like you cannot be really <laughs> saying these things like, maybe what, what are you Bush like yeah well what it's the hell it's so easy to to parody those people because they're the in and of themselves are already a parody yeah and, and yeah, <laughs> I no, love that amazing though. um so Obama yeah this this whole expansive drone killing apparatus we've covered it in, the, in prior episodes and we'll link to more about it on the timeline but he's pretty much taking drones to a whole new level all across the world and in this country now it just came out that uh, Congress just passed a bill earlier this week opening the U.S. skies to unmanned drone surveillance for domestic military and police operations. You know, already police are using facial recognition technology at, at protests to try to really uh, develop that chilling effect so people don't want to go to protests. They don't want to perform political activism because they're scared that they're going to be recorded, surveilled, tracked. I had a lot of people tell me that when I was doing the group in San Diego that they wanted to help but they didn't want to be on a list. Yeah. Um, the ACLU kind of describes what this means for the privacy of American citizens. If you, I mean, if it's not already obvious, unfortunately, nothing in the bill would address the very serious privacy issues raised by drone aircraft surveillance. The bill would push the nation willy-nilly toward an area, uh, toward an era of aerial surveillance without any steps to protect the traditional privacy that Americans have always enjoyed and expected. We don't want to wonder every time we leave our homes. You know, we already know that Google's taking pictures of all the streets and yeah. everything that we're doing. Like, do we really need drones now? And thinking that drones are just constantly going to be watching us? I mean, how insanely Orwellian is this? Well, it's 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 such it's such a perfect boiled frog kind of thing because it's like we already have planes in the sky. Yeah. Um, we already we already assume we're being watched every time we yeah. go in public. Yeah. So the idea of a drone in the sky is really not that much right. different to what the way how people are already so desensitized. You're absolutely right. And Jonathan Turley was mentioning this. I didn't even know this was legal now. I guess the Supreme Court ruled that it's legal for police without getting a warrant to tr- put a GPS tracker on your car. Some of the things Alex Jones used to say about how the surveillance grid is going to increase um, rang true to me. And I think we're, when we're getting closer, there's going to be GPS trackers on all cars. You'll be almost required to have one. Um, the DMV will require you to have one. Those kind of things don't have the same legal protections that phones do. You know, And even phones now don't have the same legal, legal protections as we've seen. But... I mean, all these new technologies coming out, they fall under different legal classifications. So, like, the government could do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah, yeah. They, they could just do whatever they want because they're ahead of the curve, you know? They're the ones pioneering the surveillance technology now, so they have, like, a three- to four-year window before the public even was really aware of what the hell they're doing. It seems like it's being conditioned to us so innocuously like like you said there's planes already in the sky we won't even know what what are drones and what aren't making everyone just accept that this is necessary it's it's just the new reality you know here we are 10 years later the patriot act is now just renewed like no question i mean does everyone remember how controversial and unconstitutional that was why is why aren't we still having a debate about that like these, these pieces of legislation are now just there just slowly just being implemented I saw this really scary when we were researching the World War II thing. We'll talk more about this, obviously, in that episode. But there was actually an element of uh, Nazi legislation that mimics the NDAA provision that was put in 
um, that said that you know you can detain anyone indefinitely, and that that was kind of the premise for how the Nazis started to round up Jews. It's just crazy. I mean, and that's the thing. It's like you have to. People almost feel compelled to be anonymous now when speaking their true opinions or saying anything controversial online. Um, that's the direction we're we're heading towards, and there's not enough people complaining about it for it to go anywhere else at the moment. Yeah, anyone who questions the government narrative is now just a loon. Um, and actually CNN on Anderson Cooper, this guy from the Daily Beast, a website that I liked up until this point. Now I'm disgusted by it. I will never go to it again or reference it. But this guy who's a writer from the Daily Beast is on Anderson Cooper talking about how people who question government narratives, literally, who like are, quote, conspiracy theorists, we already know that that's a pejorative term you just label on, so- on someone or something that doesn't adhere exactly to what the government says. So that can mean a lot of different things easy way to shut down brain, shut down argument. He says that conspiracy theorists are potential suicide warriors, mentally deranged people that we need to really start looking at because we are going to be the people who are going to perform acts of violence in this country. The FBI just released a list that said 9-11 truthers are now like potential suicide warriors. This isn't on Fox News. This is on CNN, Anderson Cooper. And Anderson Cooper is just softballing this guy. He's like, you know, could it be that this, these people are just mentally deranged, that they're not linked to maybe people who hate the government? The guy's like, no. It's all just people who think hating the government's trendy, and they're all, like, jumping on the bandwagon and, like, hating the government's, like, this new trend, and it's all going to lead to these people who are doing, like, mass suicide acts of, of heroism, like, against the government. I, I didn't actually see that news report, We're, but... Um but, I mean, we're not being fully honest here. I mean, we were just about to put our suicide bombing vests on, and we forgot to take our Thorazine, so we probably should do that pretty soon. <laughs> get all geared up here. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, all kidding aside, the, the, I mean, that's just the game they play. You know, they make it seem like... And there is some truth to the criticism against conspiracy theory culture. A lot of people into conspiracy theories are crazy. Right. Because... When you're, if you've ever gone crazy yourself, or if you've known anyone who's gone crazy, or had a schizophrenic episode, it really is kind of a, a self-delusional feedback loop of conspiracy theories. Not not conspiracy theories of you know fluoride and the chemtrails, but just conspiracy theories about your that they think you're filming them. That and, you think you're being yeah, yeah followed. That, yeah, that uh, that there's a conspiracy against you yeah. to kill you. You know, you think your parents are going to kill you or something. I mean, so. So there are, I mean, that's how they, and that's how they plant the seeds to make you just not look at things that are so-called labeled as conspiracy theories that are just questioning official narratives or questioning conventional wisdom. There's a difference between things like, you know, questioning why did so many people get warned not to fly on 9-11? Why was John Ashcroft flying uh, privately? Why were the Joint Chiefs of Staff canceling their meeting? Um, how did Willie Brown get warned not to fly on 9-11? That's not a conspiracy theory. You're just literally questioning something <laughs> that, that was never true. resolved. Yeah. That somehow these people got warnings not to fly, but the general public wasn't warned, and 3,000 people were killed. Yeah, and it works, too. I mean, even people who were fans of media roots maybe didn't know that we believe in the truth coming out about 9-11 because we don't think the truth has been revealed about 9-11. We're definitely advocates of 9-11 truth, supporters of 9-11 truth. We're not going to hide that. Media roots is in a 9-11 truth site. But, yeah, we're not going to hide the fact that we think that the government was complicit in the attacks. I mean, 
to what extent you can argue, but yeah, some guy who was a really big supporter of Media Roots, really on point with everything, gave really good input on a lot of things. We, re- we re-released our 9-11 Truth episode, breaking apart the 9-11 coincidence theory, and with the full transcript, and he immediately, without reading it or listening to it, it was obvious, because it happened immediately afterward, where I'm he out. just wrote, oh, you guys are truthers, I'm out. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? Like, so you don't, you're not an advocate of truth. Like, first of all, you didn't even read Puts anything. Puts us in a box. Puts us in a box. It. Yep. It's He's just out. like, oh, you guys are associated with 9/11 truth. I'm out. I think it's because it's it's like we've said it's it's too confusing and also too painful. To, yeah. To really reflect on it too much, and I mean, I know for me it was a really painful. It is. It's hard. And hard psychological time for me when I really got into it. I was watching 9/11 movies every day. I mean. Peter Phillips makes it, he, he was describing on the radio one time, he was just like, you know, coming to terms, if you do come to terms with the fact, not only the buildings and if you if you believe in the buildings being blown up or not, that's aside the point. Coming to terms with the fact that the government actually not only let this happen, but aided and made it happen, makes you physically ill for days. I mean, it's, it's earth-shattering. It shakes you to the core, and... He just really articulated that well. He was just like, it, it's very difficult to process that, especially after living your life thinking, you know, trusting, having this inherent trust in this in this authority that the government wants to take care of you, looks out for your best interests. So it's, it's an extremely earth-shattering, rattling thing to come to terms with, and I understand that. But at the same time, to just shut it out completely without even looking, it, it just it's just sad. Or even, or even saying, oh, well, there's just so many conspiracy theories out there. I don't know which ones to take seriously. I mean, just just look at the individual things. I mean, yeah, just separate the whole thing that happened with the buildings and look at everything else. Well, it's like every conspiracy theory that exists is based on truth to me. Like, there's an, a conspiracy theory. Of course, you can look at aliens and stuff like that. But everything kind of is rooted down to something that is true, that there was unresolved things about, that there is a lot of secrecy around. And so, of course, you know, conspiracy theories are going to arise if there's something that's covered up. But usually there is, once you dig into the main conspiracies, JFK, you know, there are aspects of the the moon, the the tape and, and Russia and all that that are interesting and questionable. And I can see where conspiracy theories come out of that. And the JFK thing, I mean, obviously was done by the CIA. So it's just like, just just discount it and be like, oh, you think JFK was a conspiracy theory too? It's like, well, have you looked at it? Like, (laughs) there's a reason why people are like questioning this because it isn't explained and it's not... And it's not because it came out of a vacuum, you know, like all these debunkers say, oh, well, there's so much, such a lack of information that they just try to fill in all the holes. It's just easier for us to just think the government did it. That's easier for us, Robbie. Moving, we're going to do a whole follow-up episode about 9-11 because there's been so much that's happened, so many implications, so many different things that have come out. Um, so we're going to do that soon also, so stay tuned for that. But we kind of wanted to switch gears about... Wait, wait, wait. Okay, so we're going to play a clip right now. Um, this is a, a clip that I recently just saw on YouTube. I don't know how how long ago it was uploaded, but... Ehud Barak is the ex-Prime Minister of Israel, and on the morning of 9-11, he was being interviewed by a BBC news reporter in studio. And what's most interesting about this video is not only how calm and collected he is about all these implications he's bringing up, um, as how much detail he has about the event and um, how much prescience he has about what's going to come. And we'll play some of the more interesting parts of the clip right now for you. 
First, your reaction, having heard what's happened. At least four planes have been hijacked, and uh, there may be more. The world will not be the same from today on. It's an attack uh, against our whole civilization. I don't know who is responsible. I believe we will know in 12 hours. If it is a kind of bin Laden organization, and even if it's something else, I believe that this is the time to deploy a globally concerted effort led by the United States, the UK, Europe, and Russia against all sources of terror. Is it something that security services, intelligence services, could ever have got wind of? Uh, uh, I'm not sure, but this is not the, the case. It's, it really happened in front of our eyes, and the question is what should be done. And we'll isolate automatically any nation that is ready to host terror or support them. By doing this consistently along six or ten years, we will reduce dramatically uh, this challenge to all our way of life. Not from rogue states like Iran, Iraq or, or Libya. But in this area, we will suffer. It will not so, be so easy to, to uh, go aboard an airplane in the, next, in the near future. What price might democracy have to pay, given what has happened in the last three hours in the United States? Every simple step, crossing borders or going on a plane or, or on a, a ship, will become more complicated. But at the same time, it's a time to identify. There are no more than five or six countries in the world which are directly or indirectly responsible for hosting terror. But let me press this point about democracy and the price democracy may have to pay because you know very well that many passengers in the United States have long expected to be able to walk into an airport, get on a domestic aircraft unhindered within about 10 minutes of the plane taking off. No. They expect that as a free country. And it's, it's, it's a part of the problem that we have in a world which is so turbulent. And we, it's a time to launch a, a operational, concrete war against a, a, a terror, even if it takes certain pains from the routine activities of our normal society. The uh, uh, bin Laden sits in Afghanistan. There is a source well, of terror. Who else terror. Can you identify, though? Uh, because we're not saying he's responsible for this necessarily. No, no, we, we don't say that he's responsible, uh, necessarily responsible. <laughs> and acting uh, pointedly, operationally against them. And we should cooperate with all... Preemptively? Both preemptive and by diplomatic means, namely rogue states. There are five of them. Iran, Iraq, Libya, North Korea. Okay, so yeah, that, that was the clip of Ehud Barak being interviewed on the morning of 9-11, the ex-Israeli prime minister. And a few crazy things that he knows on the morning of 9-11. Um, the BBC news reporter is asking him how the U.S. is going to respond. Ehud Barak says that the U.S. is going to respond by waging a worldwide war on terror. And he also says that airline security is going to have to be fundamentally changed. And the reporter interjects and says, well, you realize that Americans really want the convenience of being able to get to an airport 10 minutes before their plane leaves and leave. And Ehud Barak is like, yeah, but they're going to get used to it because they're going to make they're going to understand that making sacrifices for security is like necessary and all this stuff. So that's I mean that's pretty bizarre, you know, that he had that phrase even in his mind, um, and he knew that the U.S. was going to wage one. 
And he also mentions countries that were going to wage the war on terror. And he also uses the phrase, any of these countries that harbor terrorists, mm. Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Libya. Um, and then at the end of the clip, he Noticeably says... Noticeably not Pakistan or Saudi Arabia, though. Yeah, not Saudi Arabia at all. Yeah, yeah. Not Yemen. Yeah. Not, I mean, well, yeah, Yemen. Well, yeah. Clearly, Saudi Arabia is... <laughs> off, there's some the shady <laughs> shit going on all across the map there. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and then at the end of the clip, he's like, and, uh, and the U.S. will go after the Bin Laden network. And the reporter's like, well, Ahud, uh, we just want to state for the record that we don't know that Bin Laden did this. And he's like, oh, of course, of course we don't know. But if it is a Bin Laden type group, and then he goes on to talk about Al-Qaeda and all this shit. And, and you're it's like, just, dude, how are you so psychic? Yeah. Wow. He's super Amazing. calm, collected, Prepared, psychic. baby. I mean, that guy... Uri Geller needs to go face to face with the ex-Israeli prime minister because they. I mean, really strange though. We're gonna link to that on the timeline right now too, so definitely check that out. We mentioned at the beginning of the episode just the trumping up of the war drum propaganda with Iran and Syria right now. It's coming in a lot of different forms: framing, lies of omission, and just straight up warmongering and fearmongering, saying that Iran is straight up gonna attack mosques in this yeah. country. I mean, absolute insane rhetoric coming from not Fox. Once again, I mean, people have to realize CNN. that this is happening on CNN, MSNBC, Rachel Maddow, even. We've, so, yeah, we haven't even really seen the worst of it from Fox, which is interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is interesting. So and we're going to play, or did you want to? Yeah, I wanted to mention that, that I mean, tying into the, the Ehud Barak clip that we just played you, I mean, the countries he mentioned that we're going to wage the war on terror on include Syria and Iran. And it's just like, when, you know, it's like we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. We've been teased so many times with this Iran war propaganda lead up. The thing with the, the standoff where the, the Navy encountered a ship. And remember that? Mm -hmm, I, was like, mm -hmm, well, mm -hmm. I forgot what happened with that. It was like a hostage situation mm -hmm, almost. Uh, the Strait of Hormuz being blockaded. I mean, all this shit just seems to be brewing. And they're constantly knocking us over the head with it, but they've been doing it for four years almost. But then, now it's like... It seems ramped up more than ever. Now it seems ramped up more than ever. Now they're actually saying, you know, we have to stop them before they attack us, pretty much. This is, this is where it's getting now. The rhetoric is so strong that it's just like, they're going to kill Americans if we don't do something. That's where it's at. And we wanted to play this, the worst of the clips that we've found so far right now. Well, good evening, everyone. I'm Erin Burnett. And out front tonight, Iran's threat to the United States in the United States, right here at home. Now, as we said last night, no one buys Iran's claim that its nuclear program is for peaceful purposes. Today on Capitol Hill, National Intelligence Director James Clapper drove that message home. Now, Clapper also said that Iran has the largest supply of ballistic missiles in the Middle East and that they could one day be capable of carrying weapons of mass destruction. A high-ranking Israeli official said earlier this month that Iran is working on missiles with a range of some 6,000 miles. That is far enough to hit the United States of America. Now, an expert that we spoke with said that fitting an intercontinental ballistic missile with a warhead could take months, perhaps a year. So once you get the missile technology, you can get that warhead technology not far behind. Iran could attack the United States in a much more fearsome way. The top intelligence officer for the New York Police Department, the NYPD, Mitchell Silber, said this week in an op-ed that Iran's next target could be here in the nation's largest city, writing, 
Given Iran's increasingly bellicose rhetoric and its long history of sponsoring terror attacks abroad, the NYPD must remain vigilant in attempting to detect and disrupt any attack by Iran or its proxies. Now, the intelligence officer calls this no idle threat. And remember this fall, the U.S. government says Iran was planning to bomb a crowded restaurant in Washington, D.C. The target was this man, Saudi Arabia's ambassador to the United States. But perhaps a hundred or more Americans would have died, too. The defendant is an American of Iranian descent, and he stands trial. And in 2004, two guards at Iran's United Nations mission were sent back to Tehran after videotaping city landmarks, including bridges and the Statue of Liberty. Now, this week, the Iranian government is suspected of carrying out bombing attacks against Israeli diplomats in Thailand, India, and the Republic of Georgia. The question is, will Iran strike inside the United States? Out front tonight, Peter King, chairman of the House Committee on Thailand. The clip uh, angers me so much, even though I've seen it like four times already, because it's just so vile. Like, the propaganda is so vile. This woman's just like, I mean, if I were this woman, I'd be like, you know what, I'm not going to read this. This is complete propaganda, and it's based on nothing. <laughs> it's just like... It's always the really young reporters they have, too, just regurgitating this just absurdly <laughs> obvious propaganda. I mean, it's not even... I mean, it seems like even beyond a Fox News level or something. It is. And, uh... Yeah, it's 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 like the people who have their careers ahead of them instead of behind them are the people who are just more likely to just say whatever the fuck is handed to them because they want to they want to keep climbing the ladder. Yeah, this whole clip is just saying that you know it's not even saying that Iran is a threat to the world or Israel or whatever. It's just saying like Iran is planning attacks. Like there's a scrolling headline as this woman's talking saying Iran planning attacks in America? Question mark. What? No. Yeah. How how would Iran attack America? I don't understand what is happening. Yeah, that's the whole setup for the for the for the delivery is they want to make you feel like there's going to be a terrorist attack and it's going to be from Iran. This is the first time I think that we've actually been told this, on mm -hmm, the news. Mm -hmm. and that's this pretty is, funny. Yeah, it's getting it's getting really bad. I mean, you know, the Iraq buildup. We said we can't wait until they get a nuclear bomb. You know, it's dangerous for the world. Now it's like the news is saying that Iran's just going to straight up attack us. Yeah, and I feel like. What's interesting too is that it's not, it's not like they're inundating us with this kind of stuff. It's just here and there on the news. But when you do see it, it's overtly like the Iraq War propaganda yeah. buildup. Maybe they're testing the waters mm -hmm. and they're just seeing how people are going to react to this. And and maybe they don't realize that people like Glenn Greenwald are going to write an entire article yeah. about one of them and just destroy. <laughs> the he just like says her name. He's like, here's how to email her. Yeah. And just yeah. like send These her. people cannot get away with this. I mean, they are complicit. When you are peddling this very destructive propaganda that makes people believe that Iran is going to attack us and justifying to bomb or intervene in this country, that is going to cause a lot of damage. Yeah, Cindy Sienz You're complicit says you have blood on your hands. You have, you have blood on your hands, lady. Whoever you are, you have blood on your hands. Sorry. It's it is a really strange thing that they're that they're not it's what's gonna happen with Iran? Are they waiting to see are they waiting for them to just like fulfill this prophecy that we're obviously mm -hmm. setting up that they are gonna are gonna make a stupid move towards us, like kinda like Gulf of Tonkin? I mean we've already surrounded the country. We're taking out nuclear scientists, the Stuxnet virus, all this stuff. How much farther are we gonna go before I mean, yeah, we obviously push him. we're obviously hesitating. Everybody's like, uh, "Oh yeah, Obama's weak on on Iran. He's not, uh, you know, he's just letting him get away with whatever." They're obviously hesitant to get into some sort of real war for some reason, but they're trying to accomplish 
you know, disrupting yeah. their society through all these other means. I mean, right I now. have a pretty good idea of why they don't want to get in a full-scale war. Look, I mean, Iran is the most progressive militarily. They have a very large military. Um, they're a capable country. And I was talking to a friend of mine. I asked him, you know, when's the last time we fought, we did waged a full-scale war on a, on a civilization as advanced as Iran? And he said, Germany. Yeah. And that's, and, but back then... You know, the technology was a lot worse than what we have now right. to fight each other. So it would be, yeah, it would be a, an epic shitstorm. <laughs> <That's the only laughs> it really would be. It. Yeah, it really would be. Yeah. I, I think it's almost like we're waiting for, we're not going to go at it alone like we did with yeah. Iraq. We're waiting for the international so-called community to be behind us. This was a CNN clip that we played. There's another clip. Was it Diane Sawyer, right? But she's talking about how they're going to blow up uh, mosques, how, the, how Iran is targeting mosques no. in the country. Mosques? Or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, or synagogues. Yeah, synagogues. 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 I'm so sorry. <laughs> wow. Yeah, how Iran is targeting. You're like, wait, no, that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, how they're targeting synagogues. What? I mean, where is this intel coming from? It's so irresponsible. It is so irresponsible. Yeah. It's based on nothing. And then they like go on to say all these hypothetical scenarios, like hundreds could have died. It's like, about what? Like hundreds could have died with this hypothetical scenario that you just made up on the spot? Yeah. Anyone can say that about anything. Like, it's totally meaningless. And it and it's working. I mean, I follow this person on Twitter called the U.S. Department of Fear. It's pretty awesome. And he plays with all the, the fear rhetoric and propaganda. And, but he went and found the trending topic about Iran one day and just retweeted all these different things that people were saying about Iran. And all of them were just like, I'm so scared of Iran right now. Iran has nuclear weapons. This is the scariest thing ever. Like all <laughs> these people are just like, oh my God, like what are we going to do? Yeah. What? Like you actually think that, first of all, Iran has nuclear weapons and that they're like an imminent threat to this country. And Ron Paul, I mean, one of the best points he's made during the debates that could just kind of cut through everything like a fucking you know, Jinsu blade, just like, <laughs> like he's, he's just like, well, we were able to not invade the Soviet Union for like 40 years or however long while they have a whole nuclear arsenal. Like, why are we so afraid of Iran just developing a nuke for the first time? Yeah. Like, India and Pakistan developed nukes, you know, almost a decade or no, more than a decade ago. If you develop a nuke now, unless you're just given the nuclear technology straight up from another country, you're going to be way behind the yeah, curve. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're... Russia gave China their nuclear technology. So at that point, yeah, they, they have pretty much the same capabilities country. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's really, it's, it would be really awful if we actually invaded them. I mean, I hope we don't. I think um, that we're just going to do another Libya type thing, but it's going to be a total shitstorm, Like you said, I mean, there's no way that we can just go in there and drop a couple aerial bombs. I mean, we're going to have to really, no, they won't stand for that. They're not going to do that. So no. it's, you know, we're definitely going to do something. It's obvious that the rhetoric is stronger than ever before about Iran. And we just got to keep aware, yeah. keep cutting through this conventional wisdom and, and be pointing out that there's no threat. I mean, that's all we can do at this point. You know how the Iraq war propaganda was like a hard run up. It was yeah, like, yeah, 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 boom, yeah. like yeah. mushroom cloud, smoking yeah, gun, yeah, like yeah. here's a vial of anthrax. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to hold in front of your fucking face and like scare the shit out of you. But now it's it's been like a soft run up for like the last two and a half years. A where while, yeah. We a mention, while. It's mentioned continuously in the news, but it's not really shoved down your throat in the way it is with these clips mm-hmm, that we mm-hmm, have on the media mm-hmm. roots homepage right now. And that's the change 
and we'll see what happens with the with the run up right. if it continues to be this hard run up or what. I mean, it was, it's, yeah, it's, it's been really it's been the seed was planted long ago with the initial axis of evil bullshit that Bush said, and you know it's just been sprouting. And Ahmadinejad <laughs> gets off on on saber rattling with the U.S. You know. Yeah. I mean. May, and, and obviously we want that, you know, we yeah. want to keep provoking him. And I mean, he comes over here and does interviews with, with all mm-hmm. our reporters and mm-hmm. just says, you know, things that Americans would think are fucking crazy, you right. know, like, like that bin Laden is friends with Mr. Bush and yeah. laughs at George Stephanopoulos' face. And even though that's very, yeah. True. And George, remember, remember when George Stephanopoulos said that he was in Tehran? Oh well, yeah. It turns out he was in, uh, what, Abbottabad, Pakistan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shield Team 6 took his ass out, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Took his ass Everyone out. <laughs> watched that George Stephanopoulos interview with, with Ahmadinejad. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. You really should watch it. But, yeah, Ron Paul is the only GOP candidate, or the only candidate pretty much across the board. Oh, actually, you know, Rocky Anderson. Oh, yeah, Rocky Anderson is, but he's not a Republican. No, no, no he's he? not a Republican. I was just going to say, just give him a quick shout out, though, because he's <laughs> awesome. Um, he came into the KPFS studio, and everything he said was totally on point. Really liked the guy. It was the first time I'd ever really gotten to hear what he had to say. So definitely check out Rocky Anderson. He's he's running for, I want to say, the Justice Party. Um, and he's the former mayor of Salt Lake City, Utah. Really awesome dude. He reminds me of Ralph Nader. Um, just really on point. So we'll we'll research more about this guy. I don't know much about him, but I really liked him, and you know I'm definitely considering him as a as a candidate. But aside from him, Ron Paul is the only candidate that's really prominently out there right now that's talking about civil liberties and curbing back our foreign policy, and, you know, our imperialism, and. All of a sudden, it seems like lately the debate has been switched now to this false debate on contraception. Yeah, it seemed, it's it's curious how it's taken the main stage in the media, and 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 where does that bring us? It brings us magically to Rick Santorum's most controversial policies, which are, um, you know, he doesn't want to allow anybody to get free contraception. He wants to make sure the parents are consented with and all, all this stuff. I mean, I don't know if he really believes that, but that's the kind of shit he says. So it's like way more religious than Bush was. Oh, he's... far more. Yeah. And he's, I think he's Catholic too. So it has a different edge mm-hmm. to it. It's like, he's really anti-contraception. Um, he, he doesn't believe women should fight in the military. I mean, he says so many things that are so old school Christian that I can't help but think that he is, it's kind of like Sarah Palin during the last mm-hmm. election. He, like Cindy Sheehan said, it's an <laughs> insurance for an Obama victory to have this fucking crazy guy out there mm-hmm. who took pictures with him and his wife with his stillborn baby, um, just scaring the shit out of liberal Democrat yeah. people. I can see why. I mean, he's, he is insane and, you know, crazily Christian. But unfortunately, it puts these issues up to where it's like you're choosing to be on this one issue. Like, yeah. it brings it to a point where, like, women that I know, and Adam Kokesh was interviewing people at an Obama, like, co- like I don't know, no, it was the GOP caucus, and he was interviewing this woman, and she totally agreed with everything he was saying about foreign policy and about civil liberties, and she was just like, but I, I can't vote for Ron Paul because I don't want, like, someone else deciding what I do with my body. And so it all comes down to this false argument Every time it's like there's this one issue that they pin it down to make you just that you can't vote for the GOP candidate. And it's like you're voting against this person because you just can't conceive of like letting that go. Yeah. When in the grand scheme of things, I mean, it 
he isn't saying that. He's saying states should choose. And, you know, if you're looking at the big picture, I mean, just our foreign policy and restoring our civil liberties. I mean, Jesus Christ, what could be more important than that? Yeah, if you be- if you subscribe to the lesser of two evils paradigm then you- and you believe in those things, you should vote for Ron Paul. But it is a shame that there isn't anybody out there saying the same things as Ron Paul who isn't a Christian conservative. Right. I mean, I mean there are, but there's nobody running for president right. who's getting a lot of attention. And that's... And that's just kind of where it puts us. It puts us in this kind of awkward position where, you know, he's the only guy out there saying all these things we agree with. But at the same time, like, I, there's so many things he says that I just can't get on board with. But And it unfortunately taints him for, you know, a single issue like abortion will yeah. just completely turn off so many people. And by proxy, you know, the whole racist newsletter scandal... Um, by a proxy that makes things he's saying about foreign policy and civil liberties not as prominent and just not as credible in the general public's mind because it's like that's what they mainly hear about him. So they're like, oh, this crazy racist guy, Ron Paul, is talking about civil liberties in the ACLU. Oh, he's one of those nuts. You know? <laughs> he's one of those lovers he's one of, of liberty. Yeah, he's one, one of those, those guys, crazy guys. He's one of those guys who wants to like legalize heroin, but he's also, like, <laughs> you know, it's like it's 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 that kind of. Putting him into a box, it, it makes it too easy. And that's, and I don't know, I, I, I have a theory. I don't know if any listeners will it. agree with this, but I do think that since, um, well, since Obama got into office, there's been an extreme increase and rise of quasi-libertarian ideas on mainstream media. Um, Reason Magazine has gotten so much bigger since Obama got into office. And the, and the people you see representing these libertarian viewpoints on TV are not necessarily the most articulate or intelligent people. And they have very, sometimes very lockstep beliefs that that are hard for the general public to understand. And I think that there's not anybody on TV who's representing some of these positive aspects of libertarianism, like the stopping the war on drugs, mm-hmm. um, you know, many yeah, state style laws, like where you're forced to wear mm-hmm. seatbelts and stuff, where you'll get fined. I think there's a lot of people who can get on board with those things because... <clears throat> Yeah, we should be able to be more responsible about our own behaviors and face the, are the consequences ourselves instead of being slapped with a fine for the government, you know, for not wearing a motorcycle helmet or something. So I could I could totally get on board with that. I think most people can, but mm-hmm. it almost seems like the whole libertarian message overall is being tainted a little bit by this like weird lockstep and slightly misogynist bent to it all, where it's like it's being represented mostly by these males who are okay with a lot of these things that the general public is absolutely not okay with like repealing the civil rights mm-hmm. act um leaving abortion up to states rights it's it is unfortunate that that's we don't have a harry brown or a michael mm-hmm. badnerick out there on tv we have um you know people like ron paul mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, say, they say great stuff but you know it's just it's, yeah yeah it's, it makes it difficult it, it does <laughs> yeah no i struggle with it too i mean i fucking love ron paul i love the guy but, you know, as a woman, and I consider myself a feminist as well, um, and I and I don't like that, that undercurrent of kind of, you know, suppressing, not even that it's about that, but yeah, just putting these issues to the forefront, and it, it is a turnoff. It is a turnoff. You know, it's not going to, it's not going to uh, taint his whole candidacy to me, but I could completely see how it does to some people, and that's really unfortunate. It's unfortunate these, that these issues overshadow some of the really, really great things that are happening. Um, speaking of Ron Paul, yesterday was President's Day, and there was an unprecedented event where 
Um, over 500 soldiers did a military procession and giant march throughout the streets of D.C. in front of the White House next to the Washington Monument um, to, you know, in, in support for their bid of Ron Paul being the president of the United States. And it's it was just really cool. The weird thing about it um, was that the mainstream media barely covered it. And when they did, they lied and said that there was dozens of attendees when really there was thousands. Um and there was barely anyone there covering it other than, of course, RT and Luke was live streaming and a couple other people were doing that. There was a tea party rally like for mm-hmm. Santorum or something, like thousands of military people doing this huge organized procession throughout the streets of D.C. That shit would be everywhere. So, I mean, obviously the establishment's terrified of Ron Paul because he could totally unseat so many things. But on the other hand, it's like, you know, he is the biggest friend of corporations, deregulation. You know, tying into my theory about libertarianism being forced onto the public but being tainted at the same time, maybe the reason why the media is finally giving him this this play or so-called fair play by giving him more time and attention is that he's almost like a sacrificial lamb to diminish the credibility of a lot of the things he's. I don't even. Especially in the face of Occupy Wall Street, where it's like all about corporate corruption, this two-tiered justice system, and then to have someone talk about deregulating you know, and and letting private industry kind of control everything. So it is like, a you know, there's two dichotomous things that are kind of combating with general trends going on in the country, the libertarians and then like the, the, you know, the more anti-capitalist Occupy Wall Streeters. So yeah, it is interesting and and I wonder what, how all these factors play into the coverage and what's going on. But I think that the media definitely didn't want to give it play that all these soldiers definitely support ending the wars. Like, you know, all the, the thousands of people came out, over 500 soldiers, a lot of them wearing their, their uniforms, even after their command, like they got a notice saying, don't come to this event. Yeah, that's newsworthy in and of itself that they were told not, yeah. not to show up under penalty and they still did. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we don't, it's very, um, they don't want us to know how many soldiers are for Ron Paul's foreign policy. That's the bottom line. And a lot of them obviously don't want these wars to continue. They've been there. They've, they've seen it. They've seen how destructive it is. They see how pointless it all is. Um, and we should be listening to them. We should be reaching out to these people and understanding why. One really great thing to end the episode that is happening, I know that this has been kind of a negative, uh, you know, a lot of things that we talk about are on the negative side. We'd like to, it's enlightening to find out what's going on. It's enlightening to engage with reality. It's very important. But it's also important to look at the good things that are happening and what we can do about it. There's um, municipalities in Arkansas that are fighting fluoridation. They're getting fluoride removed from their water. There's 300,000 organic farmers that have joined together worldwide that are suing Monsanto. And even if this is just a symbolic act, it still just shows, you know, people are joining together and really trying to stand up to these insanely monolithic corporations that, you know, Monsanto's pretty much in my top three most evil corporations on the planet. And it's just great to see people joining together and really trying to combat them and their control over agriculture. But Abby, I want to be able to use Roundup on my plants without them. <laughs> I mean, what's not to understand about that? I want to be able to. I want to be able to just shoot a bunch of chemicals on my plants in a giant spray and only be able to kill the weeds, not the plants I want to grow. What's? Why are you trying to take that right away? We're gonna do an episode coming up on just Monsanto, aspartame, GMOs, because there's so much about that and there's so much research that I've done about that and it's really really important to find out what's really happening with with our food. Not only do they patent the seeds that have this pesticide in them, they've genetically modified the seeds to actually produce a toxin that's 
in the soil not meant to be airborne called Bacillus thuringiensis, Bt, and that's where you know you see Bt seeds. Um, so not only do we not know what this chemical is doing once it's airborne and pollinated, but then they go around and actually sue farmers that have cross-contamination and, and when their crops become contaminated by genetically modified seeds. If you go to an organic farm and you find traces of their seeds, Monsanto will literally make you destroy your seed supply. And some of these farmers, that's all they have, like lineages of seeds that they've preserved from centuries, not, not centuries, but I mean decades and decades. And they make them destroy all their back products and like put them into this position where they just like can't fight it. It's, it's so much power. Yeah, it's almost like these the companies like Monsanto and, and these agriculture companies have picked up on this thing that's been going on for years in Hollywood and, and media companies where they hire these litigation companies to just buy up all this copyrighted material and then their job is just to sue and track mm -hmm. down all the ways mm -hmm. they can find money. So now like these agriculture companies are trying to like sabotage people's crops just so they can make money off of litigating and suing mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. It's absurd. Yeah, they, they sue them for patent infringement. It's like, and these farmers are like, dude, we don't even have, we're an organic farm, assholes. You guys are the one contaminating us. Like, we should be suing you. You know, it's like, it's insane. But, um, so that's a really beautiful thing that's happening right now. 300,000 organic farmers joined worldwide trying to sue Monsanto. You know, Monsanto's a huge company. It has a lot of power and a lot of pool in the government. So who knows how far this lawsuit's going to go, but it's just a great symbolic act. And there's a lot of other things happening. Trader Joe's just signed on to a fair food um, agreement where they finally are giving their workers rights and a, a comfortable working environment. And this is all just the, the product of diligent activism and people joining together and really making things happen in their communities. So once again, we've said this before, but we're going to say it again. Um, vote every day with what you do, the companies you support, the websites you go to. Donate to MediaRoots.org if you want to see these broadcasts continue. And stay tuned for a lot of excellent episodes coming up. I hope everyone's well. We have t-shirts on the store. Check those out. Um, with every donation of $40 or more, you get your musical choice from Robbie's website, recordlabelrecords.org, record my art website, abbymartin.org, or a Media Roots t-shirt. So check that out. Support grassroots journalism. Uh, keep questioning conventional wisdom, combating government propaganda, and reach out to your community. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye. Let's hear from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Chris, Democrats Line. Welcome. Uh, yeah, I wish, um, you know, he's on the right track, but I wish he would put the uh, blame for all this where it belongs. And that's with the conservatives on the Supreme Court. They're the activist judges. For 30 years, they've eroded rights and given them to the government and given them to private business. The Republicans on the Supreme Court have eroded the rights. The Republicans in Congress have eroded the rights. Now, just because they tied it to something else that kind of forced the president to sign it, now you put all the blame on the president. Well, first of all, I, I certainly agree with the Supreme Court's fault in this. I, but I have to say that for, if people are going to deal with the crisis we're in, we have to be even-handed, and we can't make excuses. There is no excuse for President Obama. If he signs a law that says that he can indefinitely imprison citizens, then he's made an incredibly bad decision. There is no law. It doesn't matter what it's attached to. His decision to tell CIA employees that they would never be tortured or uh, they would never be investigated or prosecuted for torture, that was an incredibly bad decision that violated treaties. 
We can't make excuses. The Democrats are equally at fault. You know, we found out a few years ago that the, the Democratic leaders knew about the torture program. They knew about the unlawful surveillance program. The leadership knew about it. There is no red or blue issue here. That's something of a, of a uh, chimera. That is, we've gotten into this blue state, red state paradigm. We've bought it. And we've become a nation of chumps. They're all lying to us. And yet, when elections come around, we put on our blue or our red scarves and we go running off to support them. And what's being lost is not just good government. We're beginning to see our rights being lost. And unfortunately, the system that Madison created, this is what, really what Benjamin Franklin said. You know, when a woman came up to him and said, what have you created in Philadelphia? And he said, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. It's pretty chilling words because if you're a nation of chumps, you lose the republic they created. And that's what's happening. Cal, Republican in Ogden, Utah. Good morning, Cal. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, Mr. Turvey, I just want to thank you for being one of the few law professors out there I think that probably actually believe in individual rights and freedoms and, and uh, the privacy thing.